I'm so glad you're here because we're starting a brand new series today um, called Overwhelmed. How many of you, how many of you like the beach? How many of you like the beach? It's not a trick question. Some of you got two hands up. Come on, Jesus. Right? Yes, I, I like the beach, love the beach. I didn't have an opportunity to hang out at the beach much, though. The first time I went, I was 15. And, uh, and I thought, Lord, what is this that you have done that I have been hidden from all my life? Uh, I, I got to see this beautiful, I happened to go to Panama City, and it was the green wall, you know, it was the whole thing. And, and the white sand on the side. I thought, well, who took the dirt? Where's the dirt? This is, what is this? This is like heaven. The yellow brick road to Oz. This is incredible. And, and I just fell in love with it. So I happened to go to college in Central Florida. And, um, you know, I don't know what you did if you were in college when you had days off. In Florida, you go to the beach. I mean, that's what you do. <clears throat> and so, um, you know, being young and, uh, how, how do I say this kindly? Stupid. Um, maybe that wasn't kind, but that was what I was. You know, we wanted to go, like, play in the waves, right? We don't go just sit there. And so we had heard about um, where are the biggest waves in Florida? If you haven't been around Florida, you might know the Sebastian Inlet over on the East Coast is where they had the um, Florida State surfing competition back then. So we went over to Sebastian Inlet, and there's a big jetty that shoots out in the water, and the waves just kind of crashed. It, it was crazy. Uh, the red flag was out, and we went boogie boarding. If you don't know what that is, that's like surfing for people that don't have any balance. You know, that was me. It's kind of like, you don't really stand up, you just kind of lay down on it and hope the waves do something for you. And so um, there's this sign that said, enter at your own risk. They didn't have lifeguards and, and all that kind of stuff. I could have paid attention to the sign and just hung out there. But no, 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 I want to go in the waves. So there's this point in the water where if you're on the, the beach side of it, everything out there is pushing you in. And there's this other side of the water that once you get over that little hurdle, everything's sucking you out to Cuba. You know what I mean? It's taking you out. And so the waves happen to be especially big, and you've got this you know, thing, this boogie board tied to you that's jerking your arm the whole time. And so I get over that crest, I get over that hump of the waves, and now all of a sudden the undertow and everything is sucking me out. And all of a sudden, this Tennessee boy who hadn't spent much time in the ocean realizes this is not a lake. This is, something is wrong. Something's trying to get me. There's a sea monster trying to suck me out. And I couldn't get back in. And I fought it and fought it and fought it. For 30 minutes, I fought it. Finally, I got back over the point. And then, a, and then I thought, I can try to ride this in. I slipped up on that boogie board and, and jetted in. And, uh, and it was all I could do. I had no breath left because the waves had just drove me so hard. And finally, I get my feet on the ground. Look, for those of you who don't swim a lot, I, I didn't swim necessarily a lot. The most uh, comforting thing you can feel is your feet touching the ground, right? I don't care if you're still in the water. Okay, how deep the water is. When your feet touch the ground, you're like, okay, I can, I can walk. I can make it. My feet touch the ground, and, you know, everything inside me is running out because I've drank too much salt water now. And I, and I just get this blurriness out of my eyes. And I turn and I go, oh, good, I'm safe. And this wave just comes and demolishes me. Drove me to the bottom of the ocean. Drug my face across the seashells and sand, you know, all the way up. And, and wave after wave. And I stood up again a little under waist deep. And it happened again. And finally, I made it to shore. And, and I, when I got there, I thought, I'm done with the ocean. I'm done. I'm done with this. 
The truth is, this morning, um, some of you feel like that. Like life just keeps hitting you with one wave after another, after another. And if you're honest today, you would say, when are the waves going to stop coming? Being overwhelmed is an epidemic in our society and, and sometimes in our heart. We're overwhelmed by busyness and politics, relationships, fear, and sometimes life itself. And oftentimes we just don't know what to do about it. But you've entered life at your own risk. <laughs> and here you are. But not only does Jesus call you into the waves, he also calls you to walk on top of them. John chapter 16, says, I have told you these things so that in me you may... I just, I just caught this today. I've never heard this in this verse before. Listen. So that you may... Not you will. You may have peace. Peace isn't guaranteed unless you make that choice. He's provided it. You don't have to receive it. You may have peace. In this world, you will. That's not a choice. You don't have no decision on that. You will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So I got good news for you this morning. If you want to write a thought down to take with you, here it is. You don't have to be overwhelmed by anything because Jesus has overcome everything. That's what I'm going to say to you all day today. So in this series, we're going to talk about um, being overwhelmed by life. That's next week. I encourage you to hear that one. Two weeks, overwhelmed by failure, overwhelmed by fear. And the last message, underwhelmed by Jesus. Encourage you to be here for that. Today, overwhelmed by discouragement. Now, for those of you who aren't discouraged, you may be thinking, great, I just wasted a whole Sunday. You know what I mean? I I'm not discouraged. I could have stayed home. But look, I, I know this. There are only two kinds of people in the room this morning. Those that are presently discouraged are those who will be discouraged in the future. Because Jesus said, in this world... You will have trouble, which means if you're not discouraged today, there will come another point that you will be. And so this message is for everybody, and I also know since discouragement is part of the human experience, I guarantee you, you know someone who is discouraged. And if you don't, you're not paying attention. Because discouragement is an overwhelming reality of our life. So you can use this message to encourage someone. Discouragement is a crisis. You are never closer to blowing your life up than the moment or the season that you're discouraged. You are never closer to doing something, doing permanent damage, making bad choices, going the wrong way, doing the wrong thing, doing harm. You're never closer to going Satan's way than when you're discouraged. So it is a crisis. Discouragement is like a Christian's kryptonite. And it may be Satan's greatest weapon against you. Satan cannot take anything away from you, but he can discourage you to the point that you'll just give everything away. And that's how he works. Now, I was, I was thinking this week, um, when are those moments that you and I are, are most likely to experience discouragement? And this is not scientific. It's a random list I kind of made up. But, but 
just from my own experience and working with people, here's where I think the critical points are, uh, and I just want to list them for you. When you're exhausted, when you're exhausted and overworked, you oftentimes experience discouragement. When you're trying your hardest, but you're not making any progress, that's discouraging. When you fail, that's discouraging. When you're living in fear, people who are afraid are not encouraged. Those things don't coexist. When you're enduring criticism, isn't that that discouraging? When people say things about you, whether they're right or not, it's discouraging, isn't it, when people criticize you? When tragedy strikes, when you sin, sin is not encouraging. When you're doing the wrong thing, it's not encouraging, it's discouraging. When you're confused and lack direction or clarity, when you just can't get your mind around what it is you're supposed to do next, it's very discouraging. When you live with unrealistic expectations, you're doomed to live a discouraged life. Because reality will never match what you expect it to be. And the the gap will always cause discouragement. When you have a negative attitude or negative self-talk. When you say bad things about yourself to yourself. Or when you have a negative outlook on life, it's very discouraging. When you hold on to unhealed pains of the past. Dragging baggage from the wounds that someone else has done to you year after year after year is a weight that wears you out and it discourages you. When you have unprocessed emotions, when you feel things deeply or you feel frustration, you feel pent up things and you don't know what to do with them, those unprocessed emotions will discourage you. When you have negative relationships. So this morning, I want to give you, look, this isn't, like I'm saying, scientific, uh, but I want to give you a definition that I'm going to be totally honest with you, I completely made it up. So it might not even be true. Here you go. This is guinea pig 101, welcome to Kingwood. I'm going to give you my definition of discouragement. Discouragement happens when you do not have the resources to live an overcoming life. Discouragement happens when you do not have the resources to live an overcoming life. To be discouraged is to be depleted. You have ran out of encouragement. You have ran out of strength. You have ran out of hope. You have ran out of the belief that everything's going to be all right. So when you get discouraged, where do you go? The Bible tells us that the Apostle Peter, when he thought that Jesus when Jesus died and he thought that was the end, he went back and hid in his work. You know anybody that hides in their work? Noah went to alcohol when he spent 40 days locked in the ark with his family. Think about that for a minute. You make whatever conclusion you want. Was it the animals? Was it the family? I don't know. I don't know. Elijah went and hid in a cave. Where do you go? You go to the internet, you go to entertainment, do you turn back to some bad relationships, do you turn to food, where do you go when you're discouraged? We usually try to find quick comfort for deep pain, because we want relief, 
But Jesus gives us a better way. There's a man in the Bible named Elijah who had the most discouraging day in his life. Now here's what's interesting. He had the worst day of his life after the best moment of his life. By the way, there's one other time I didn't list that we tend to get discouraged, and it's right after a giant victory. And we usually don't see that one coming. But that's what Elijah had. He had a mountaintop experience. By the way, that's where the phrase comes from. It comes from this story of Elijah on the mountain. Uh, and Elijah had just defeated 450 false prophets, and then the sky falls. The queen of the area, Jezebel, is mad because her 450 prophets have been defeated, and now she has declared she's going to kill him. This wasn't a, um, a hype statement. She intended to kill him and had killed many other people. So what he's feeling is real. One day he's on the mountaintop in incredible victory. The next day he's in the valley running for his life. 1 Kings 19, 3 and 4 is where we pick the story up. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Incredible, mighty man of God. <laughs> he was afraid and ran for his life when he came to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough. In other words, the waves just keep coming in, and I don't think they're ever going to stop. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Have you ever felt like that? Completely on empty. Or, if you're not on empty, maybe just running low and thinking, I don't think this is ever going to change. Now, today you have a decision to make. Focus on your circumstances or focus on Jesus. See, here's what I know. Your overwhelming circumstances will always be discouraging to you if you continue to focus on them. So, so just watch, watch this for a minute. Today, whatever your circumstances are that are discouraging to you, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that by the time we get out of service in a few minutes, that they're probably going to change. They're probably not going to change. The circumstances that you came in with, you're likely to leave with this morning. I'm not going to give you some pie-in-the-sky kind of fairy tale answer. Here's what I am going to tell you today, and I'm going to say it to you many times. You don't have to be overwhelmed by anything because Jesus has overcome everything. That's the truth. So what do we do? We have to shift our focus from what is overwhelming us to Jesus, what gets our attention ultimately determines our direction. So if you shift your focus, you will overcome. So what do you do this morning when you're overwhelmed by discouragement? What do you focus on? Number one, if you want to write these down, focus on your health. 1 Kings 19, 5 and 6. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then uh, lay down again. Because of my life circumstances, I have had to work very hard at sleep and rest. Now, that sounds like a paradox. Work at rest. I've had to work very hard at sleep and rest. When I get tired, I get discouraged more easily. When I get discouraged, I get defeated. 
And I'm so grateful that we serve a gracious God who sees our humanity and doesn't over-spiritualize everything. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is eat a little better and get some rest. Sometimes that's like the, the answer. In our hurried pace, we're tempted to forget how interconnected our spirit and our body actually are. You are not two people. You are not three people. You are one whole person. And everything you do in your spirit affects your body, and everything you do in your body affects your spirit. And sometimes your mind gets so discouraged because your body's so depleted. We just dog our bodies out. And we act like they're an unlimited resource that can never break down and never get sick and never hurt and never affect our spirit. And you can get tired to the point that your spirit will weaken. I I heard a um, a Christian counselor talking months ago who has worked with some of the highest profile leaders in our country, primarily works with pastors, and he said this. Before you think this is just a a side point or not really spiritual or not really important. He said this. He said, I've never met a pastor who had a moral failure who wasn't burned out. Never. Your body affects your spirit. And there's a spiritual cost to mistreating your physical body because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Think about the cycle we sometimes go through. You get to the end of a really long, discouraging day. What do you do? You start binging on Netflix. Come on. Come on, somebody. I don't know what demon created Netflix. But I'm going to tell you, they make it so easy at the end of the show. What is that, 15, 20-second counter? It just automatically loads the next episode. It's like potato chips. You just keep putting them babies in there. How many of you watch that? You know what I'm talking about? You're like, oh, just one more. Next thing you know, it's five more, and it's one o'clock in the morning. And you get up the next morning, and you go, oh, that was so dumb. And now you're tired, and you're more discouraged. It didn't help, did it? Or, or, or sometimes you reach for, you know, chocolate and ice cream. I feel bad. Just one more bowl. Not one more cup. We're talking, this is a bowl-sized discouragement. Come on now. Somebody's talking Rocky Road. This is a cookies and cream level. Pralines and cream level discouragement. And, and after a couple days, your clothes don't fit quite the same. And now you're more discouraged. You might be surprised how much better you would feel about God and about life. If you ate a little better and got some rest. Mark 12, 30 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. How do we love God? With our whole self. With all, with every part. We love God with our whole self. This is how we worship. Number two, focus on God's presence. The presence of God is a mysterious sounding thing. But let's unpack that for a minute today. What is the presence of God? It is the reality that God is present. Right? That's what the presence of God is. It is the reality that God is present. 
uh, verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain. He's talking to Elijah now after he ate and uh, drank and took another nap. Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. The Lord is about to pass by. And if you know this story, you know he heard this violent wind and this earthquake and this fire and, and all of this ruckus and noise and, and uh, uh, chaos. And all of that calmed down. And then the Bible says that Elijah heard a gentle whisper, quiet voice. Sometimes we want God to speak louder, and sometimes God says, I'm not in the noisy things. I'm in the quiet things. So come and find me in the quiet. And the only way you can do that is, is quiet part of your life down. I was so thrilled at the new song we sang this morning. Uh, he, he holds it all. Because I was going to read Colossians 1.16. I don't know if you know what it says. Verse, chapter 1.16. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth. Visible, invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Look at verse 17. He is before all things. And in him all all things hold together. You may be sitting here this morning saying, I'm hanging on by a thread. No, no, no. You're being held on to by the presence of God. Because the presence of God holds all things together. And whether you can feel it or not, you be in Just Let's just review for a minute some of the things the Bible says about the presence of God or how God is present. Colossians says the presence of God holds all things together, holds us together. The Bible says that uh, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God dwells in us. The Bible says whether two or three people are gathered together, God's presence is with them. Psalm says he... he uh, uh, enthrones the praises of his people. Man, that's a lot of promises about the presence of God. Can we just stop for a minute this morning? Can we just stop for a minute? And just, and just soak that in. Man, God is present. And he's working. Just, just close your eyes with me this morning. And just say that, Lord, I... I, I declare today that you are present. I'm aware today that you are here. You are with me and you are, you are working today, Jesus. Your presence is here to drive out all discouragement. Can you feel that? You feel, you come in, you get into tune with this presence. You become aware suddenly that you're not sitting in this room beside whoever you're sitting by. You're not alone. God, today, your presence is here. We soak it in. We receive it. You are here lifting up the brokenhearted. You are here mending. You are here restoring. God's presence is life. And he's bringing life today. Today, we receive your presence. Because he's here, we can do the third thing. Focus on honest prayer. Have you ever heard someone pray... And when they pray, they sound like someone different than, than when they do anything else. You know what I'm saying? They, they, they talk in prayer in a different way than they talk any other time. And we think sometimes we have to put this show on for God, or we have to bring certain language, kind of like we're preparing to meet the Wizard of Oz. You know, we have to 
Be careful. And, and, you, and you always need to pray honestly, but especially when you're discouraged. It's very important. Verse 10, he replied, this is Elijah's complaint, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Like I, I did my part. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. I'm the only one left. What is he saying? I did what you said, and it didn't work out. I was all in. And, I, and, and what do I get for it? I'm alone. Again, I'm very comforted by the fact that we serve a God that welcomes these kinds of prayers. In my darkest hours, I've prayed some of these kinds of prayers. I've said, God, why won't you do something? Change. You pick. I don't even care. The circumstances keep coming at me like oncoming waves, and none of them are letting up, and I don't think I can survive another crash of a wave. Why won't you just change anything? And it was honest. It was an honest prayer. But here's the good news. It was still prayer. It was still prayer. And I was talking to him, therefore I was still walking with him. Being honest in prayer doesn't mean telling God what you think he wants to hear. When you're talking to God, don't be religious, be real. Usually I find the people who talk to God in the most religious ways are the people who are most disconnected from him. Jeremiah, if you were to read the book of Jeremiah, there comes this point where he complains to God and basically says, God, I told these people everything you told me to tell them, but they are stubborn and they won't do what you want. John, John the Baptist, when he was in prison and things were not going well for him and things did not end well for him, and he sends a message to Jesus and he says, hey, hey, time out. Are you the Messiah or should we look for somebody else? Now that kind of prayer might seem off limits. But it wasn't. Paul the Apostle says to Jesus, I have this thorn in my flesh and it won't come out. What do you want me to do? Jesus said to his father, I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to be crucified. I don't want to die. If there's any other way, let's do that way. Because I don't like your way. That's honest. If we talk to God honestly, many times the conversation will start to change our perspective. And like Paul the Apostle who says, in my weakness I'm made strong. Yeah. And, when you, and when you talk to God honestly, it gives God an opportunity to change your heart. But when you go in there and fake it, when you go in there and just put the religious mask on and just say whatever it is you think God wants to hear, you're so disconnected from your source of help, you're not going to change. Nothing's going to change. But when you talk to God honestly, it oftentimes changes your focus, changes your perspective, and changes your heart. Number four, focus on relationships. Oh, by the way, God did give Elijah the answer to the question, I'm the only one who serves you the complaint. And it's here in verse 18, he says, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. You know what I find when I'm discouraged? My perspective is usually ever accurate. I'm, al I'm almost never right. Because I'm discouraged. How far off can you be from I'm the only one and there's 7,000? 
Like, how do you get that kind of math? Like, what is that? 7,000. He wasn't even close to right. So Elijah, if you read the story, he went out and found Elisha. Elijah with a J and Elisha. I don't know why he did it that way. Elisha with an S. He went and found someone he could share his life and his ministry with. If you, if you were honest, some of you are sitting here today, and the truth is you're lonely. You're lonely, and, and as you came today, or maybe as you walk through the week, you think, you've been thinking, I'm the only one with a marriage issue like this. I'm the only one with this temptation. I'm the only one with this struggle. I'm the only one who was treated this way in my childhood, and now I'm broken, and I don't know how to get fixed. I'm the only one with this deep, dark secret. By the way, that is not true. It's as close to true as the number one is to 7,000. It's not true. You're not the only one, and you're not alone. See, when we read in the Bible about Satan, we always get these uh, animal pictures. He's a roaring lion, right? He, he, he is a, a, a prowls like a lion. He is a, um, a wolf in sheep's clothing. You know why we get these animal pictures? Because these are the kind of animals that like to isolate their prey so they can pounce on them. You ever seen the National Geographic? You got the lion waiting for the one wildebeest? You know which one I'm talking about. The one dragging his leg, you know. You know what's going to happen. That one's gone, right? Or that little one, hee, hee. You're like, oh, he's gone. He's gone. Like, oh, God, that, one, that one's gone. You know that's how you look when you're discouraged? Hee, Because Satan's waiting to pounce on you. When you feel alone, you get discouraged, and when you get discouraged, you get weak. And when you get weak, you're open, you're vulnerable. The enemy can talk you into giving everything away. There are people inside this church family who need you to be their friend. And there are people inside this church family who need to be your friend. If you have children um, and want your children to get to a certain age, you begin to understand how important friendships are. They're critical. And so as our kids grew up to um, late elementary school, uh, middle, middle elementary up through, up through middle school, we'd have these talks on the way to school when I'd drop them off. We'd talk about friendship. Because I realized most people are a reflection of their closest relationships. That's what they, where their friends go, they go. What their friends decide, they decide. What their friends do, they do. And so I realized, being a youth pastor for a lot of years, I realized how critical it was for my children to have good friendships. And so I had this little prayer. I'd pray, we'd talk a minute, and I'd pray every day on the way to school. Dear Jesus, I pray for, I pray for Connor, I pray for Tyler. Today I pray that you would help them to know the difference between a good friend and a bad friend. And I pray that you would help them to be a good friend to somebody. And I prayed that over their life. Every day, every day, every day. And, you know, um, we would talk about it too. And I'd say, hey, you know, be open. <laughs> be friendly. Reach out to other people. Relationships aren't necessarily safe. Sometimes you have to take a risk and kind of put yourself out there. And one day it dawned on me that that wasn't just good advice for, like, fourth graders. 
That's actually good advice for adults. And if you're here at Kingwood and you're just kind of floating around by yourself, or maybe you and your, your family's just kind of floating around and you don't have any relationships, can I tell you, I believe God has a friend here for you. I believe that. And, and there's someone that you need to be in relationship with who will encourage you and who you can encourage. Why? Because discouragement is a crisis. And this is the reason we have life groups. And some of you might even say, well, I'm in a life group, but I still don't have a friendship like that. What do I do now? Well, my prayer for you is this. Dear Jesus, I pray that you would help them know the difference between a good friend and a bad friend. And I pray that you would help them today to be a good friend to somebody. Be open. Be honest. Take a risk. Put yourself out there. When's the last time you ate out with somebody? If you just kind of creep in five minutes late, and as soon as we say amen, you're gone. It's hard to make friendships like that. When's the last time you saw another couple or a friend or somebody that you were a little familiar with and said, hey, could we, could we grab lunch sometime? I'd just like to, I don't want anything. I'd just like to get to know you a little bit better. When's the last time you did something like that? See, see, so much of this is in your hands, and it is God's antidote to discouragement. So that couple in your life group, that person in your life group, just reach out to them. Number five, last one, focus on the future. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. Elijah was ready to give up. But God gave him food and rest and honest prayer. And then after that, God says to him, hey, you have a future. You're not done. You're not over. This next wave's not going to kill you. Don't give up. Can I tell you, that's a good word for you today. Don't give up. Move forward. If you're feeling stuck, this one is not going to kill you. God is not done with you yet. He has a future for you. Maybe you're here and you're trying to dig out of a financial hole or you're trying to make a relationship work. I just want to encourage you today, you have a future. God's not done with you. That's why you're here. You're one prayer, one step, one good decision, one season away from a breakthrough. Don't give up now. Do you know faithfulness is so undervalued in our culture? Everything's disposable. Work relationships disposable, cell phones disposable, contracts disposable, everything's disposable. Faithfulness is so undervalued in our culture, but it is so highly rewarded in God's kingdom. So Galatians 6 9 says, Let us not become weary in well doing and doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know what God's word for you today is? Be encouraged. Don't give up. A harvest is coming. God has a future for you. I got more good news for you. The valley is not your home. It's not even part of God's kingdom. Think, think with me. If we believe when you go to heaven, he's going to wipe away every tear. He's going to heal every pain. And you'll never know sickness or sadness again. 
then that means the valley is not even part of God's kingdom. It's part of a human experience that's temporary and earthly and a part of your uh, earthly experience. You may walk through the valley, but you don't have to agree with it. Because you've got a mountain coming that'll never turn into a valley again. Sometimes the waves just won't seem to stop. They just keep crashing. They just keep coming. But as you shift your focus from the circumstances onto Jesus, you realize he might not stop the waves, but he will reach out and take you by the hand and lift you up out of them so that you start walking on top of them instead of being pounded underneath them. I want to say it to you one more time. But this time I changed it. Because I'd like you to say it with me. Would you say this with me? I'll put it on the screen for you. I don't have to be overwhelmed by anything because Jesus has overcome everything. Would you say it with me and put it in the first person? I don't have to be overwhelmed by anything because Jesus has overcome everything. Do you believe that today? Come on, give him a hand. Do you believe that today? Would you stand with me this morning? Just stand with me where you are. Prayer team, would you come? Can I tell you something about uh, Kingwood Church? Kingwood Church is not a perfect church. Everybody listen to me. Kingwood Church is not a perfect church, but it is a safe one. You don't have to have a mask. You don't have to have some religious pedigree. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to look perfect. You don't have to have it all together. It's not a perfect church. But it's a church where hurt people can heal. And real people can come as you are. And it's been that way a long time long, long time. And so I want to encourage you, wherever you are, it's a safe place to bring your family, to bring your life, to bring your pain. You don't have to put on, you don't have to pretend. Man, we've been through it. Kingwood Church has been through it. We've been through the worst life has to give. And there's so many testimonies in this room. But he this is not how you survive. You don't survive alone. You have to let someone walk with you. And then incredible change and encouragement happens. So we like to say it like this. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Because God has a plan for you. So I, I want to ask you if you close your eyes. We want to pray today. I want to pray with you this morning. Believe that God has focus for you, a future for you. So with every eye closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what? If I'm honest, my, my focus needs to shift. My focus needs to shift today. If I'm honest, I'm just overwhelmed. 
by my circumstances right now. And I need prayer. Would you just lift your hand and say, today I'm in some pretty choppy waters. Yeah, thank you. And I just need some prayer. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, all, all over in the front and the back. I'm so glad you came today. I'm so glad you came. This service is for you. If you're here and you say, there's some things I need to let go of. Like I realize I'm dragging these weights. And, and maybe you even say, I've tried. But today there's some things I need to let go of. Come on, would you just lift a hand and say, that's me. I need prayer today because there's some things I know I need to let go of. And it's time. It's time. God is pulling in my heart and it's time. Come on, just lift your hand. There's some things to let go of today. Yeah. Or, or, or there's some circumstances I need to give to God. Or today I need prayer and strength and wisdom. Come on, would you just lift your hand? There's some circumstances you need to give to Him. You need prayer and strength and wisdom today. Yeah. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to begin to pray. And as I begin to pray, so many of you lifted your hand. And now here's the big point. Here's the big moment. As I begin to pray, I want you to just step toward one of our prayer team. And whatever you want to say, you can say. You can say as little or as much as you want. What's important is that you take a step and say, God did not make me to go through this alone. I'm reaching out for God's presence today, and I'm reaching out to my church family. And, and, God, and when you do that, when you do that, something's going to happen in you. A shift is going to happen. Perspective is going to begin to change. So throughout this room, you lifted your hand. When I start to pray, I want you to move. Lord Jesus, I thank you today for the, for the presence of Christ that's in this room. I thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit that is coming up underneath us today. You are, you are strengthening. There's a crisis in our church family today. There are those who are discouraged. And so, Lord, today we come up underneath them. We raise their arms up in victory and we declare that they will not be defeated. They will not be overwhelmed. They will not be overcome because you are the ultimate overcomer. Come on, I want you to come right now. I want you to move right now from the balcony, wherever you are. Lord, we thank you today for your grace. We thank you today for the presence of God. We thank you for what you're doing in this Overwhelm series. You are going to overwhelm some of the attacks of the enemy. You are going to overwhelm some of the things that the enemy meant to overwhelm us. You're going to overwhelm them. You're going to overwhelm some of these circumstances. And we believe you today that you are are working. Come on, let's just sing that song through again about building our life on the foundation of Jesus. It's solid. And I will build my life upon your love. Come on, would you sing it?